chapters three to seven of book nine of history of animals by aristotle translated by darcy wentworth thompson this librivox recording is in the public domain three the characters of animals as has been observed differ in respect to timidity to gentleness to courage to tameness to intelligence and to stupidity the sheep is said to be naturally dull and stupid of all quadrupeds it is the most foolish it will saunter away to lonely places with no object in view oftentimes in stormy weather it will stray from shelter if it be overtaken by a snowstorm it will stand still unless the shepherd sets it in motion it will stay behind and perish unless the shepherd brings up the rams it will then follow home if you catch hold of a goat's beard at the extremity the beard is of a substance resembling hair all the companion goats will stand stock still staring at this particular goat in a kind of dumb founderment you will have a warmer bed in amongst the goats than among the sheep because the goats will be quieter and will creep up towards you for the goat is more impatient of cold than the sheep shepherds train sheep to close in together at a clap of their hands for if when a thunderstorm comes on a ewe stays behind without closing in the storm will kill it if it be with young consequently if a sudden clap or noise is made they close in together within the sheepfold by reason of their training even bulls when they are roaming by themselves apart from the herd are killed by wild animals sheep and goats lie crowded together kin by kin when the sun turns early towards its setting the goats are said to lie no longer face to face but back to back Four cattle at pasture keep together in their accustomed herds and if one animal strays away the rest will follow consequently if the herdsmen lose one particular animal they keep close watch on all the rest when mares with their colts pasture together in the same field if one dam dies the others will take up the rearing of the colt in point of fact the mare appears to be singularly prone by nature to maternal fondness in proof whereof a barren mare will steal the foal from its dam will tend it with all the solicitude of a mother but as it will be unprovided with mother's milk its solicitude will prove fatal to its charge five among wild quadrupeds the hind appears to be pre-eminently intelligent for example in its habit of bringing forth its young on the sides of public roads where the fear of man forbids the approach of wild animals again after parturition it first swallows the afterbirth then goes in quest of the cecily shrub and after eating of it returns to its young the mother takes its young betimes to her lair so leading it to know its place of refuge in time of danger this lair is a precipitous rock with only one approach and there it is said to hold its own against all comers 
the male, when it gets fat, which it does in a high degree in autumn, disappears, abandoning its usual resorts, apparently under an idea that its fatness facilitates its capture. They shed their horns in places difficult of access or discovery. Whence the proverbial expression of the place where the stag sheds his horns. The fact being that, as having parted with their weapons, they take care not to be seen. The saying is that no man has ever seen the animal's left horn, that the creature keeps it out of sight because it possesses some medicinal property. In their first year stags grow no horns, but only an excrescence indicating where horns will be, this excrescence being short and thick. In their second year they grow their horns for the first time, straight in shape like pigs for hanging clothes on, and on this account they have an appropriate nickname. In the third year the antlers are bifurcate, in the fourth year they grow trifurcate, and so they go on increasing in complexity until the creature is six years old. After this they grow their horns without any specific differentiation, so that you cannot by observation of them tell the animal's age. But the patriarchs of the herd may be told chiefly by two signs. In the first place they have few teeth or none at all, and in the second place they have ceased to grow the pointed tips to their antlers. The forward-pointing tips of the growing horns, that is to say the brow antlers, with which the animal meets attack, are technically termed its defenders. With these the patriarchs are unprovided, and their antlers merely grow straight upwards. Stags shed their horns annually, in or about the month of May. After shedding they conceal themselves, it is said, during the daytime, and to avoid the flies hide in thick copses. During this time, until they have grown their horns, they feed at night-time. The horns at first grow in a kind of skin envelope, and get rough by degrees. When they reach their full size the animal basks in the sun, to mature and dry them. When they need no longer rub them against tree trunks, they quit their hiding places from a sense of security, based upon the possession of arms defensive and offensive. An cane stag has been caught with a quantity of green ivy grown over its horns. It, having grown apparently, as on fresh green wood, when the horns were young and tender. When a stag is stung by a venom spider or similar insect, it gathers crabs and eats them. It is said to be a good thing for man to drink the juice, but the taste is disagreeable. The hinds, after parturition, at once swallow the afterbirth, and it is impossible to secure it, for the hind catches it before it falls to the ground. Now this substance is supposed to have medicinal properties. When hunted the creatures are caught by singing or pipe-playing on the part of the hunters. They are so pleased with the music that they lie down on the grass. If there be two hunters, one before their eyes sings or plays the pipe, the other keeps out of sight and shoots, 
at a signal given by the confederate. If the animal has its ears cocked, it can hear well, and you cannot escape its kin. If its ears are down, you can. 6. When bears are running away from their pursuers, they push their cubs in front of them, or take them up and carry them. When they are being overtaken, they climb up a tree. When emerging from their winter den, they at once take to eating cuckoo pint, as has been said, and chew sticks of wood as though they were cutting teeth. Many other quadrupeds help themselves in clever ways. Wild goats in Crete are said, when wounded by arrows, to go in search of dittany, which is supposed to have the property of ejecting arrows in the body. Dogs, when they are ill, eat some kind of grass and produce vomiting. The panther, after eating panther's bane, tries to find some human excrement which is said to heal its pain. This panther's bane kills lions as well. Hunters hang up human excrement in a vessel attached to the boughs of a tree to keep the animal from straying to any distance. The animal meets its end in leaping up to the branch and trying to get at the medicine. They say that the panther has found out that wild animals are fond of the scent it emits, that when it goes hunting it hides itself, that the other animals come nearer and nearer, and that by this stratagem it can catch even animals as swift of foot as stags. The Egyptian ichneumon, when it sees the serpent called the asp, does not attack it until it has called in other ichneumons to help. To meet the blows and bites of their enemy, the assailants beplaster themselves with mud, by first soaking in the river and then rolling on the ground. When the crocodile yawns, the troculus flies into his mouth and cleans his teeth. The troculus gets his food thereby, and the crocodile gets ease and comfort. It makes no attempt to injure its little friend, but when it wants it to go, it shakes its neck in warning, lest it should accidentally bite the bird. The tortoise, when it has partaken of a snake, eats marjoram. This action has been actually observed. A man saw a tortoise perform this operation over and over again, and every time it plucked up some marjoram, go back to partake of its prey. He thereupon pulled the marjoram up by the roots, and the consequence was the tortoise died. The weasel, when it fights with a snake, first eats wild rue, the smell of which is noxious to the snake. The dragon, when it eats fruit, swallows endive juice. It has been seen in the act. Dogs, when they suffer from worms, eat the standing corn. Storks and all other birds, when they get a wound fighting, apply marjoram to the place injured. Many have seen the locust, when fighting with the snake, get a tight hold of the snake by the neck. The weasel has a clever way of getting the better of birds. It tears their throats open, as wolves do with sheep. Weasels fight desperately with mice-catching snakes, as they both prey on the same animal. In regard to the instinct of hedgehogs, 
It has been observed in many places that, when the wind is shifting from north to south and from south to north, they shift the outlook of their earth holes, and those that are kept in domestication shift over from one wall to the other. The story goes that a man in Byzantium got into high repute for foretelling a change of weather, all owing to his having noticed this habit of the hedgehog. The polecat or marten is about as large as the smaller breed of Maltese dogs. In the thickness of its fur, in its look, in the white of its belly, and in its love of mischief, it resembles the weasel. It is easily tamed. From its liking for honey, it is a plague to beehives. It preys on birds like the cat. Its genital organ, as has been said, consists of bone. The organ of the male is supposed to be a cure for strangury. Doctors scrape it into powder and administer it in that form. 7. In a general way, in the lives of animals, many resemblances to human life may be observed. Preeminent intelligence will be seen more in small creatures than in large ones, as is exemplified in the case of birds by the nest-building of the swallow. In the same way, as men do, the bird mixes mud and chaff together. If it runs short of mud, it souses its body in water and rolls about in the dry dust with wet feathers. Furthermore, just as man does, it makes a bed of straw, putting hard material below for a foundation and adapting all to suit its own size. Both parents cooperate in the rearing of the young. Each of the parents will detect, with practiced eye, the young one that has had a helping, and will take care it is not helped twice over. At first the parents will rid the nest of excrement, but when the young are grown they will teach their young to shift their position, and let their excrement fall over the side of the nest. Pigeons exhibit other phenomena with a similar likeness to the ways of humankind. In pairing the same male and the same female keep together, and the union is only broken by the death of one of the two parties. At the time of parturition, in the female, the sympathetic attentions of the male are extraordinary. If the female is afraid on account of the impending parturition to enter the nest, the male will beat her and force her to come in. When the young are born, he will take and masticate pieces of suitable food, will open the beaks of the fledglings and inject these pieces, thus preparing them betimes to take food. When the male bird is about to expel the young ones from the nest, he cohabits with them all. As a general rule, these birds show this conjugal fidelity, but occasionally a female will cohabit with other than her mate. These birds are combative, and quarrel with one another, and enter each other's nests, though this occurs but seldom, at a distance from their nests, this quarrelsomeness is less marked, but in the close neighborhood of their nests they will fight desperately. A peculiarity common to the tame pigeon, the ring-dove, and the turtle-dove is that they do not lean the head back when they are in the act of drinking, but only when they have fully quenched their thirst. The turtle-dove and the ring-dove both have but one mate, 
and let no other come nigh. Both sexes cooperate in the process of incubation. It is difficult to distinguish between the sexes except by an examination of their interiors. Ring doves are long lived. Cases have been known where such birds were twenty-five years old, thirty years old, and in some cases forty. As they grow old their claws increase in size, and pigeon fanciers cut the claws. As far as one can see, the birds suffer no other perceptible disfigurement by their increase in age. Turtle doves and pigeons that are blinded by fanciers for use as decoys live for eight years. Partridges live for about fifteen years. Ring doves and turtle doves always build their nests in the same place year after year. The male, as a general rule, is more long-lived than the female. But in the case of pigeons, some assert that the male dies before the female, taking their inference from the statements of persons who keep decoy birds in captivity. Some declare that the male sparrow lives only for a year, pointing to the fact that early in spring the male sparrow has no black beard, but has one later on, as though the black-bearded birds of the last year had all died out. They also say that the females are the longer-lived, on the grounds that they are caught in amongst the young birds, and that their age is rendered manifest by the hardness about their beaks. Turtle doves, in summer, live in cold places and in warm places during the winter. Chaffinches affect warm habitations in summer and cold ones in winter. End of chapter 7